Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Joshua Porter with the Elite Seller Show. Today's guest, I have Yoni Kosminski from Multiply Me. And Yoni has a wonderful background in scaling businesses with Multiply Me. Yoni, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, firstly, mate, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, an honor to be one of the first people to get the uh, good pleasure of sitting down with you. So that's the first thing I wanted to get out there. The second thing, what is it that I do? Is it helpful if I tell you a little bit about my background and then we can jump into what Multiply Me is? Just to- yeah, Absolutely. Go right ahead, man. I spent about a decade in creative advertising, digital marketing. You're probably hearing and we know each other a little bit, Josh. So I'm Australian originally. I grew up over there. And when I was at the first agency I worked for, I actually launched Mercedes-Benz Australia and New Zealand social media platforms. So there was no Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest. They didn't exist for brands really at that time. It was back in about 2010. And so I grew up in that whole digital age of when social media, is it okay to post on social media? And what does a a social media strategy look like? It was really at sort of the, the early stages that relate to social. And so I continued on. I moved to the US in 2017. And there I was at a creative ad agency, again, working with enterprise clients like Sony and MasterCard and Medtronic, but always smaller businesses. So I come from a SMB, small to medium business or enterprise SME space, working with enterprise clients. And I think one of the things that I picked up through the course of my career, you know, up until that point was, well, how do these guys actually operate? How do they actually create efficiencies? How do you do the same thing for 10,000 employees that we, when we were just 10 employees, how can we actually create efficiencies and economies of scale? So I guess that was a, the forefront of my mind going through this journey. When I moved to Israel, which is where I live now, and I've been here four years, I actually met a couple of guys, joined as an equity owner in an Amazon business that I subsequently grew from two to five million in 12 months. The way I approached that was I actually built out the infrastructure of talent in the Philippines. So I identified effectively world-class talent. So, you know, a lot of people go on to onlinejobs.ph and a few other forums. Mm-hmm. I was lucky to find someone that was at a really high level. And from that, it all opened up my eyes really as to what is the opportunity. So that business got acquired by Thrasio. And I actually left during that exodus and started Multiply Me. So you asked, what does Multiply Me do? Multiply Me really is that culmination mm-hmm. of bringing in that scale, professionalization, and leveraging dispersed teams into a solution for... It's gone beyond just e-commerce and Amazon sellers today, but that's really been our niche focus. So what we do is we handle the end-to-end executive search and HR function into the Philippines. So we'll do everything from helping build the job descriptions to guiding you through how do you be a better interviewer and how do you actually find talent that's going to fit in your operation for the long term, not just the transactional. Well, we place someone, we move on. We also handle everything from payroll to healthcare and everything that's you know the less sexy stuff and also performance management. So the idea is how do we give that big corporate feel in the sense of professionalism, in the sense of you know building in KPIs and expectations and setting up relationships for dispersed teams to actually work. So it's a really long answer for you, mate, but there you go. That's a thorough answer and I really appreciate that. I can say on today's segment, Yoni is definitely going to be talking about hiring e-commerce talent. And clearly from that description that he just gave us about his background, he has a wealth of experience in that obviously working with a bunch of small to medium-sized businesses, Visa, MasterCard, Mercedes-Benz, which I, I hope you uh, they give you some swag from all those companies from doing all that work for all that time. But uh, Yoni, I definitely want to ask you this, man. What do you see as the current landscape for hiring talent right now? 
in the Amazon e-com space? What, what, what's your take on it? Because obviously you have your finger on the pulse. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Great question. So, I mean, I speak to a lot of other people in the industry as you do too. And I would say one person really struck me. I don't know if you know Chris Freiberger, but we were having a conversation the other day. He's got a company called Enreach. He was saying that the average salaries from some of his exploration for roles like Amazon PPC manager in the US have jumped 60% year on year. So you're paying people who have two years experience in Amazon PPC management, which for me isn't the highest level skill on planet earth, you're paying them $85,000. So the demand and the growth of Amazon has created a massive amount of scarcity that exists in the space. And I think the discussion I was having with him was that a lot of I don't know if it's a lot of, but a number of aggregators and private equity firms that are really looking to roll up these Amazon businesses, they're going down the acquire model where they'll actually acquire a business, maybe an agency, acquire all of their talent and then leverage that to continue to build and tack on that infrastructure. So a lot of interesting conversations there, but I would just say for anyone in the hunt for talent period, it's tough. It's tough for everyone. Even me as a as an agency focused on helping find the best talent in the Philippines, it's definitely not what it was 12 months ago, 18 months ago, that's for sure. Yeah. And big businesses like that are obviously trying to keep themselves as liquid as possible so they can give equity and just keep the assets to themselves and just give off percentages of shares of the company. That's probably a better financial and fiduciary benefit for them at the end of the day. Let me ask you this in regards to the scarcity aspect of hiring talent. Do you ever feel that there's just going to reach to like a precipice with a bubble, kind of like the stock market where it's just going to be so hard to actually find talent that it's like people are either forced to use software or they're just constantly just on the hunt, hiring and firing, just taking anybody that they can and just hoping and praying that they can follow an SOP properly? Seriously, great questions. I think that there's two ways that you can look at it. One is that there's always going to be value in creating a process around something that is very scalable and investing in your people. I'm a huge believer that a cultural fit is going to outweigh a functional fit 10 times out of 10. So I'm always looking for the person that I'm going to be working with as opposed to the exact one-to-one skill set. And I think that the more people that think about the things that are coachable and things that can be learned versus can't, they should change that focus because they'll they'll see a lot of a lot of greater results when when they sort of invest in their people. But do I think the bubble will burst? I think that we're just going to see some people really willing because of how much money is flying around in the space, just willing to invest whatever it is, paying these exorbitant salaries, and that'll be for the few. And you know, you talk about the gap and the one percenters. I think that it's just going to be really hard to attract and retain some of the best talent unless you're investing in them and actually growing them yourself in house. Yeah. And that's actually something I wanted to touch on. In your opinion, with your experience, your wealth and knowledge, would you say that it's better to just hire somebody that is completely untalented, but dedicated or somebody that's already has experience and has kind of already been self-trained? It's kind of a, the, uh, I don't know if you've ever taken martial arts before or anything like that, but it's the motto uh, or the dichotomy that if somebody's already been trained one way how to kick and you try to teach them a different way how to kick, it's really hard to retrain them on how to kick versus having somebody that's very new in that field learn the way that you want them to learn so that they can actually grow with the business. So considering that so many people are actively being hired in the Amazon space as virtual assistants, would you say in your best estimation that it's just better to go with somebody that is completely untalented but dedicated uh, versus somebody that is a technically a surefire fit, but has a high price. Point. So I'm going to expand on that. Firstly, I'm loving the questions here. And yes, I do. I'm a kickboxer. So if you want to go a few rounds, mate, let's do it. I feel like uh, 
Done. I'm bringing the gloves. I'm bringing the mouthpiece. Let's awesome. do it. I got the Van Damme tracks. Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. That's all. That's really all you need. So I would say that there's a few things. Like one of the experiences that we get as a recruitment agency into the Philippines is that one, you know, let's address the first question, virtual assistants. Mm-hmm. We won't place anyone that's got the virtual assistant title. That is not what we do as an agency. I think that it's sort of a way in which people used to think. And I'd say it's more on the mindset of small business where I'll get this jack of all trades that can handle a bunch of these things. They'll do PPC reporting. They'll pull a few reports from Seller Central. They'll save me a bunch of time here and they'll drop a few things in Canva and they'll do a few design things and they'll optimize my listing images. And you know, you get them to do all these things. And at the end of the day, you've got, like I said, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I think you really want to bring it back and say to yourself, well, what is the business that I want to be creating? What, what am I actually creating here? And what is my objective? And if it's something that is scalable, something that, you know, when I say scale, I mean, you are going to make more profit in the business as you grow rather than just grow your revenues and looking at, I would argue, vanity metrics as I'm doing a million dollars, $5 million a month, $10 million a month. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to look at your gross profit margins. That's, that's some of the things that I think people should be focusing on. But wrapping that back into your question, I think that investing in single track focused individuals. So I would almost place a higher value, let's say, on an operations and, or logistics manager who's worked at Coca-Cola, for example, someone that we placed recently for 10 years in a supply chain or logistics role, and then investing in them learning on how does it work inside of the Amazon Seller Central platform and you know, understanding what it, what it looks like there. I would rather invest in educating there rather than trying to teach someone how to actually do correct forecasting or handle the supply chain and those working mm-hmm. relationships. I think that there's a really high value placed on Amazon-specific roles where if you invest that a little bit of time into actually taking someone who is a world-class professional in something that is outside of Amazon, you're actually going to yield better results. Okay. So finding those one-to-one skill sets and making sure that they're essentially staying in their lane. It's kind of like pieces on a chessboard. You don't want a pawn to be a rook or a knight. You want them to actually continue doing what they do best and that's moving forward. I definitely like that. What I would have to say is when it comes down to what you specifically do in uh, Multiply Me, would you say that hiring characteristics and cultural fit are more important than a skill set at the end of the day? I mean, from a personal opinion, that's what I'm looking for. So, you know, there's, there's a great book called The Sales Acceleration Formula. It was written by Mark, and I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but it's Robage, I think, or Robage. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who engineered the HubSpot sales team and took it from zero to 100 million in seven years in recurring revenue. He had what he defines as these five characteristics mm-hmm. that he looks for for sales teams. But I think it's really applicable to any team that you're looking to build. And I took a lot from this, the book and this section specifically. So he looked at uh, five areas. He looked at coachability, curiosity, prize success, intelligence, and Mm -hmm. work ethic. And I can elaborate a little bit, but I would say coachability, it's probably one of the most important. And that's the ability to reflect and assess self-diagnose aspects of what's actually happening in the conversation. So if I can actually go through and let's say you do a, a verbal role play, Mm -hmm. And you work through that and I can pepper in situations and scenarios and I can actually see how they then break that down and apply it to the finding. I mean, that's a really great way to actually understand, is this person able to absorb the information Mm -hmm. and then translate it into something tangible? I mean, if you've got someone who's malleable and coachable, 
then I would take that over an existing rigid skill set, just like you talked about before. People have learned one specific discipline. If you tried to take me even from kickboxing to boxing right now, I'm a very average kickboxer. I'm a much worse boxer. For the outside, anyone on the outside, they'd say, well, what's the difference? Well, it's completely different. My stance is wide. I'm not trained to to handle the same level of movement. When someone's in close, uh, you know, they'll wrong foot me. They're placing their their, their movement differently. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very much the same in getting someone who's coachable as opposed to ready-made. I think that that's a key learning and insight when you sort of go through it. Curiosity, I would say, is another absolutely critical one. That's the ability to effectively question. So when you come into an interview with someone and they're not asking you any questions, they're not curious about the company Right. They're not curious about what their day-to-day is going to look like. They're not really sort of prodding and asking. Yeah, they're checked out. They're checked out or they're going to be passive. And whether it's a confidence issue or anything else, I mean, it's one of the things that is going to be a clear indicator of well, how much are they going to push? How much am I going to have to handhold? doesn't yeah. matter if they're ready-made or not. You know, absolutely critical. Yeah, you, you can't make people want to do this, right? You know, it, it's it's their choice. What I've noticed with working with Amazon sellers over the years, especially with uh, large teams of BAs, is that they're often the ones that stand out, especially when doing tours or explanations or any kind of uh, offboarding or anything like that. There's the ones that actually are engaged and paying attention, and the ones that are just essentially seat fillers, right? They're checked out, their Zoom display is turned off. off. Yep. Yeah, you know, they're. They're not really paying attention. You ask them a question. They're like, you know, they have to like uh, muffle around, uh, unmute their mic and be like, yep, yeah, I got it. And they just go right back. And I was just like, okay, cool. And I was like, all right, once I, once I hand this over to you, man, it is literally your responsibility. You can either choose to do what these guidelines and steps are laid out, or you can just continue to flounder. And I honestly think curiosity is by far, in my opinion, out of those five that you talked about, just at the top of the precipice, because if they're not curious and they're not willing to learn, then everything else just kind of falls apart. If there is too much curiosity, there could be pushback, but so it's, it's that delicate balance of just being curious enough and being willing enough to learn and grow and actually move with the company. And I feel that as your role with what you guys do, uh, especially with hiring talent, there's a lot of vetting processes in place, but there's also that, uh, that cheerleader aspect that you have to like keep the team morale up and going. So yeah, I'll just pass it back over to you, Yoni, man. This is great information. You draw on some really interesting and intelligent points that I, I really agree with, you know, with everything you're putting down there. And like I said as well, curiosity, definitely top of the table there in terms of things that you should really be able to see pretty quickly too. And, you know, these are things and, you know, we look at everything. We look at like, okay, attrition internally. Who have we lost? Why have we lost them? We're, we're breaking down all these metrics. And so we had uh, in total transparency, we had like a lot of senior management change over the last six months. And so when we go through our month, our quarterly business review or our half yearly business review, we're like, well, what actually, what went wrong? Because the investment that you make into talent is, it's immense. I mean, a lot of people don't even look at the, it's like the hidden costs of talent. You know, you invest so much money in training them. You only really start to see an ROI unless you've got a really fluid process and you've built that out. You know, typical companies are seeing an ROI about six months in. If you're having turnover, you know, you're not thinking about, well, what does that actually mean to me as a business? I now have to reallocate resources to go and find that I have to go through the interview process. I have to vet them again. I have to induct and onboard them. They have to get familiar with my business. You know, so you go back to more or less square one each time you make a bad hire. And so when we looked at this, we looked at we're a recruitment business. We are the experts when it comes to hiring. And I would say that, yeah, we are. And why we are the experts is that we went through an entire review system Mm-hmm. of what, is, what does it look like in our current state inside of our recruitment business? How do we not only improve that process internally for us, but how do we 
provide that value to our clients. So I've just been sitting in and this is atypical of me to be involved in, in the operation, but I was so passionate about how far I thought we could take it. I sat in and, and actually facilitated these meetings. And so we went through and we broke down the process and we looked at ways in which in every single stage of the 12 stages as we define it, where can we add value? So prime examples, you know, we just started talking about how you can, what are the hiring characteristics, what to look for? Outside of that, you know, coming prepared to the interview. So a lot of people just rock up to an interview and they start asking questions about the things that they uh, effectively hope to find out. They're not really structured around it. And right. if I've learned one thing, it's really plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So mm-hmm. when you're going through this process, even outside of creating a, a test, which I highly recommend, and that's something we recommend to all of our clients, creating a test, come with questions that you plan to ask each of the candidates and have the desired outcomes or answers that you'd expect. What does a good answer look like? What does a bad answer look like? You want to come in there and it just be the continuation of the dress rehearsal into the real show. So it's essentially you're pre-formatting what you want the desired outcome to look like and seeing if this person actually fits that. And obviously when it goes back to the whole hiring process, I think one of the biggest things that a lot of Amazon sellers miss out are just people that are in agencies with the time value proposition of what it's like to actually train some person and the long-term ROI, the lifetime value that you're going to get out of that that one hires. So that that important, all all important hiring process and vetting process just becomes even more crucial. And what I find interesting about this, that since we're talking about it, is that how you break everything down into these multiple steps, right? So it's essentially the book that you were mentioning by, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, you actually fit those characteristics because you're actually curious, you're you're willing to put in the time, you're, you're willing to invest and in, you're willing to learn about it. And you expect that out of every candidate that you bring on board because you put yourself in that shoes to make sure that you're a perfect fit. So you expect the people that you hire for your clients to also be that perfect fit. Would you say that's an accurate representation of yourself? Yeah, or you're giving me too much credit. (laughs) One of the two. (laughs) But no, absolutely. I mean, one of the things while we're on that topic, one of the things that we actually have all of our team members that join our core business, we have them read a book called Multipliers. It's by a woman by the name of Liz Wiseman. It's how the smartest people make those around, how the best leaders make those around them smarter, I think is sort of the catchphrase. And so they do a study on multiplying qualities, things that make leaders better leaders and diminishing qualities. And so they do this full on study around it and you learn about the characteristics. I learned about some of my diminishing qualities. And so, you know, I think with all this stuff, having that first instance of bringing it into your consciousness and having that level of awareness then it becomes something that's actually actionable. So that follow through as well, you, you know, I reread that book so that I actually remember the key parts of, oh shit, that's what I'm doing wrong. This is how I can improve. And so back to the, our recruitment process and totally auditing it, you know, and going through it with a fine tooth comb with our entire 10 person strong, actual, like the physical recruiters doing the work. We sat in these sessions for weeks and weeks, actually breaking down the process to its lowest common denominator. And now we've got our other company, Escala, which is a management consulting practice focused on process improvement. Mm-hmm. They're actually running a 20-week project with Multiply Me now for us to totally revolutionize the way in which we document our processes, SOPs, and training videos. So this becomes a much more scalable solution rather than just having 10 superstar recruiters. Now we create that shared knowledge base and really double down on what that looks like. That's really impressive right there. Uh, I, I would have to say yours sounds like by far one of the most meticulous hiring processes that I've ever heard of when it comes to bringing on VAs. 
excuse me, not VAs, in internal team members that are obviously going to work remotely. What I would like to know, and this is probably an interesting topic that other people want to bring into the space is that what do you see as the benefit of hiring locally versus outsourcing it? Uh, because obviously here in the United States, you talked about a PPC expert being paid 85K a year, and you feel like that's a low value skill versus hiring overseas. What do you say is the cost value analysis of something like that um, in, in the short term and in the long term? So, you know, in total transparency, I wouldn't have been able to build effectively multi-million dollar businesses at the rate that we have mm-hmm. without leveraging the dispersed workforce, but specifically the cost of living work arbitrage model. So the mm-hmm. only reason why we were able to invest, you know, money, but not a million dollars into the business. The only way we could do that was by working with talent out of the Philippines. And I would say that the the logic there is that you're not going to find every single role that you need out of the Philippines. Like I, you know, you want to build relationships and partnerships. You never want anyone to look at you as a service provider. I think that's when you both lose. We're super overt. You know, if someone's looking for a head of marketing, needs experience, in the US market for specific brands and products, you're probably not going to find that in the Philippines. So I don't want to waste my team's time in trying to source for that. You know, maybe they exist, but they're probably rare. So I would say that finding the right mix of who you need and where you need them, like some some simple examples is even me, I sit in Israel. So it's now quarter to, quarter to 7 p.m. at night for me. You know, if I was on US time zone, I would have a lot more time in my week. Like it would just be a much easier existence. So if there's things that are really, you know, if it's customer support, people are very comfortable and common to work graveyard shift in the Philippines, for example. But I just say for key roles that you feel need the high touch or need to be on the US time zone or, you know, have specific skill sets, I'd say look at the regions that make the most sense for you to hire. But to come back to your question, you know, if a PPC specialist in the US is costing you $85,000 a year, that same person that I would argue will have the same skill set or better might even cost you $1,800 a month, $1,500 a month, $2,000 a month. So that's, it's a third to a quarter of the price. So When I like to approach bringing on new departments, which happens, honestly, once a quarter, we have a whole new department built out at the rate that we're growing. We went from a team of four to 140 in about 13 or 14 months, I think. So, you know, we've gone through this rapid growth, but I would say that I invest really heavily in my senior management and then they help build those subset teams. And that is a way, like hire the managers first. And you'll also learn that if you want another good book recommendation, working backwards. It's, working backwards. Yeah. So, so that's all about how they work at Amazon. It, it's written by two guys who are very, very senior mm-hmm. inside of Amazon. And they talk through everything from the leadership principles to how they hire at Amazon. I mean, I can give you some great insights. I'm probably not the best person to, to break it down into its nuanced detail. But at a high level, I could tell you that Amazon leverage a method that they overtly place on their website called the STAR method. And the STAR method, it's a, it's a series of behavioral questions mm-hmm. and it's an acronym for situation, task, action, and results. What they effectively do, you know, when we're talking about how do you actually go through this, and this is the material that we also provide when we go through our recruitment process to help educate people on it, but you define the situation. So tell me about a time where you were able to launch a podcast in three weeks, if it was relevant and current to whatever the job, the role that they're actually looking to uh, hire for, then you'd start to walk them down that, you know, that, that equation. And so 
you then, after you set the situation, you actually have to understand well, what tasks did that individual perform? Because I would say that most people who don't come prepared to an interview, when you talk about behavioral or even you know tactical, what they actually physically did, it, it becomes very hard to distinguish between what did this person actually deliver on? What was their daily output and responsibility and accountability versus what were they just there and a part of? So you could speak to someone at Amazon and say, yeah, I was at Amazon when 3P Marketplace started. I did all of that, you know, like I was there, I was there for five years. And what you might find out when you're diving into the tasks and then the actions that they performed, they were really just a coordinator. So all they did was they trafficked information from 3P to the 1P team to get, you know, insights on how they're doing things differently and making sure that they stayed strategically aligned as, you know, probably a terrible example, but using methodologies around how you actually go for behavioral questioning to get to the depth of it. Like if I knew that five years ago, and there's no reason why I shouldn't have, because I could have found that on Amazon's website. If I knew that five years ago, I guarantee you that even when I said we had higher than expected turnover of senior staff, I would have realized, well, they weren't actually a right fit because what they did was they sold me the dream. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they weren't the movers and shakers. They weren't as they define in, in Amazon and working backwards, they weren't builders, they were right. coordinators. They weren't interdependent with the team. You know, They weren't capable of actually going out and uh, traversing new landscape and then also coming back and being in succinct with the business. Often I can, I can see that as being a challenge. And your personal experience of doing everything that you've done with Multiply Me and Escala over the past several years, what do you find to be the five best places to hire employees from? Yeah, great question. So... I would say depending on the specific skill set would help guide you into the region. So my entire operation is based out of the Philippines right now. We haven't we haven't hired anyone yet. I think we're potentially considering our first hires outside of the Philippines now. But I would say great talent in Eastern Europe for developers, you know, even though we have in-house developers from the Philippines. Historically, I've worked with some great developers over out of uh, the Ukraine and, and, and regions like that. I would say if you want great SDRs, Israel, great place. But honestly, technology, like finding a CTO when we open that role up, I'm not going to look any further than Tel Aviv. You have probably some of the best tech talent, if not the best tech talent on planet Earth. And it's also because a lot of that talent comes out of uh, the 8200 division, which is military intelligence. So when they finish that and they come into sort of real world, everything's a little bit muted. Yeah, it's toned down. A bit. You're looking for five. You're looking for the five best places. I mean, you can't look past the US, I would say, is when you're looking for specific roles. And there's got, there's got to be something to be said about understanding the culture. I don't think I would have as much success working with almost an entirely US-based client base if I hadn't spent years in Los Angeles and worked with the East Coast and the West Coast and really got a deep understanding of the culture and the vibe and you know what it is to actually live and breathe the United States. So for certain roles, it's just always going to make sense to, to look no further than you know, for most of the listeners home. So speaking of certain roles, I imagine if I'm, if I'm making this assumption correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you have a specific client that is looking for these very unique positions and you're hiring a person out of the Ukraine, United States, Israel, uh, Philippines, and maybe somewhere in South America, how do you manage to mess these international teams and get that cultural fit to gel perfectly well? Because you, let's say hypothetically, you found the five best people that can actually fit these positions perfectly absolutely perfectly. They hit the nail on the head every single time. They, they fit through the frame. 
and getting that international team to communicate and, and, and gel in a certain way. Like what kind of technology are you using? How are you integrating all this? How are you delivering all this to a client? And, and when do you check in to see if everything is actually going as smoothly as you plan? Yeah, so your first part of the question, I actually can't answer that because our team is, is all Philippines. So in terms of building a cross-cultural company culture, we haven't really attacked that, you know, beyond Lippy and myself, who are both Australian living in Israel. We have one Phil American in Cat who lives in Manila, but grew up in the US. So for the most part, our entire operation is Filipino powered. We haven't really explored what that looks like going beyond the Philippines. It seems to work really well for us now. In terms of being an entirely dispersed business where not, no two people sit in the same room in any full-time capacity, mm-hmm. I would say that we leverage a fair bit of technology and a lot of process and regular cadences on how we approach all that we do. So I'm sure you're familiar with EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System Traction, which is a, effectively like a baseline methodology on how to run a business. It's, it's great if anyone's listening. It's a great methodology if you're trying to create order and you don't want to go to the levels of complexity and you know, everything feels a little bit overwhelming. I think it's a really great place to start. And we run on, like I said, EOS and we pick apart things that work for us and we add things that are sort of uh, not a higher level, but there's additional layers like building out SOPs, training videos, documentation, having a standardized way in which you can review. So our objective is that any person in the business within 20 seconds can understand a specific function or role and how to do it and how to perform it. That's how we build our process mapping and our SOPs and our training videos inside of Escala. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do for our business. But we use ClickUp, uh, which I know we were having a, a nice conversation about before, but it's a great tool. It really is from form submissions to the Gantt chart and sort of the planning functionality that you, that it enables you to actually achieve on a day to day. Our entire operation runs on ClickUp. We use Slack as well, but we have like regular meetings like our, our, we have a sales pipeline meeting on a Monday and a Thursday. We have our L10 meeting, our level 10 meeting, which is part of the EOS framework where for 90 minutes, we identify, discuss and solve any issues that are happening inside of the business. We have quarterly goals that each department might have, you know, up to seven. And then each individual inside of that department might have three or four as well. So we're looking sort of at the high level goals of the operation in the organization. How do we break them down into the lowest common denominator and have one person accountable for it? And then building single-threaded leadership, which is separable single-threaded leadership is what is a terminology that that we've lifted from Amazon. But it's we give someone full accountability and decision-making powers inside of their scope and their realm so that they don't have to come to senior management and ask for it. So it's that combination of technology, people, and process when brought together. That's how also we talk about in the scale. That's how you build systems that work for you, not ones that you work for. No, that's pretty interesting. I like that. I could say what I've seen with working with several Amazon related companies is that the most successful companies usually have their teams train their teams. So the senior people that they've already brought on board, they've already been pre-educated. They've already gone through the hoops. They definitely have some experience under their belt. And they're the ones that are actually helping bring in the next wave, the next generation of team members that are essentially going to replace them. It's that very close-knit training level and that bonding experience, knowing that you know, this is potentially the opportunity that they will get as if they perform in these ways, but this is how things are done at this company. So we're making sure to see that you're a cultural fit and that you can also 
fit the criteria that is needed to actually get the work done on this at this company at that time. Speaking of technology, since we had that little discussion about technology, what do you see as the ideal stack of technology for most successful companies? Wow. I would say that that depends on the company and the vertical and what they're looking to attack. Like just to give you, you know, to sort of give a little bit of context there. Like if I'm an aggregator, for example, I'm going to have a different level of tech stack needed for a service-based business. You know, like I'm looking at maybe I need technology to actually break down my acquisition, my M&A pathways. And is this business viable? I need to make quick decisions on it. So I'm going to need to potentially build my own technology or leverage something not that I've seen in market today. So I would say that probably a little bit broad stroke to, to give you a, an ideal tech stack. But what I would say the considerations I have is that obviously without all this, every piece of technology is great, right? But unless you have the financials in control, you need to be using QuickBooks or Zero as a baseline. You need something that's going to take control of the financials and make sure that you're actually running a profitable business. I would say that on top of that, project management, I think it's the one of the highest highest touch, lowest value or perceived value that people put into businesses. But having everyone aligned and understanding when projects and products and elements have to be delivered is critical. So ClickUp is something that we are big believers in. But I mean, if you're not using ClickUp, there's Monday, there's Trello, there's Asana, there's a ton of these tools that do the same level of work. Even Google Keeps. Yep, exactly. I would say if you want to get a little bit more sophisticated with your running of your business, like for us, we're a service-based business. We use HubSpot as our CRM and we use a company that I, we're probably going to move from, but they're called Crelate. They're a recruitment CRM. And what we've done is we have a whole business, um, geez, I'm forgetting the name of the, the business analysts. We've got a team of three internal business analysts outside of our 20-strong consulting business that literally roam around and build analytics dashboards on Power BI or Google Data Studios where we're looking at, like I was talking about process, how we break it down to the lowest common denominator. We break it down to the lowest common denominator around action steps so that we can say, well, you know, from putting a job description together for a client, which we take on that responsibility, how long was it to actually get it out to market and start searching? And how long was it until we actually got the first candidates on an interview? And how long was it until we got the feedback? And so we break them down to each of the stages. And then we start to understand, well, where are the bottlenecks and challenges, but based on data, not sort of, you know, what do I think is happening in the business? And right. so you get to a point where you have really actionable insights almost on a daily basis. So you can really identify anomalies in the future. So perfect tech stack. I mean, I feel like building, your, I've got a technology team as well. We're building a, a tool right now. I've got a full stack, a front end, a back end developer, a technical project manager. We're building technology to effectively manage remote teams. I would say that like, you know, when you want to get to to that next level, you start to realize that there's probably not all the software out there to run your business the way that you'd like. And if you have the right people and you garner the right insights, then you start to build effectively your own tech stack. So uh, speaking of that, we're going we're gonna to segue off that topic real quick. And I'm going <laughs> to ask you, in your experience with everything that you've done with Escala and Multiply Me, what do you see as the most, what are like the most common traits that you notice in companies that are quite successful versus the ones that are just like constantly getting ready to get ready? Yeah. Again, loving, loving the line of questioning here. So I would say, you know, the consulting practice, we've looked into 50, 60 Amazon businesses doing between seven and about 75 million would probably be at the higher end of clients we've looked at plus 
several aggregators. And I would say that when working with these businesses, the ones that typically see success are the ones that are very organized. So the ones that have invested in having a high level COO or you know high degree of operationally savvy ops people has been a major su- success driver because at least the businesses that we deal with, a lot of them are the classical consummate entrepreneur where they're either chasing shiny object syndrome. And I've been guilty of that at times. And I probably still am sitting here right now talking to you about all these other things that we've got going on here. Um, and a gold mic as well too. Yeah, right. Yeah. I can't see this. He does have a gold mic. So shiny right. Go ahead. Man. I'm the guy with the golden mic. You won't forget it now. I think that you'll see that the ones that have a lot of order and are organized and are actually planning for scale are the ones that are seeing the most success. So spoke to a guy by the name of Tyler Jeffcoats. He's got a company called Seller Accountants. Great guy. Did a study on Amazon sellers that were doing, you know, he sort of cooked all of his books and understood as a breakdown of the two, 300 clients or whatever he had from zero to 1.5 million. So Amazon businesses being the most profitable and then from 1.5 to 4 million and these averages, they were the least profitable. And then those that managed to get sort of past that four and $5 million annual revenue margin started to become more profitable. And so what I would sort of reverse engineer that is at some stage in businesses, when they're small, you can sort of handle everything. You know, you want to talk about a podcast right now, you could probably handle the creation of a podcast. You know, you can push record, you can jump into the session, you plan your questions out, you find your audience, you get them to jump in on ClickUp, you start to you know, do some baseline post-production and you push them live and that's it and, and there you're done. But then when that starts to be 10 hours a week and you're recording 10 hours a week and then the production value goes up and then you know, all of a sudden it becomes this overwhelming task. So building a system around it, that sort of adolescence period, I would say for a lot of these Amazon entrepreneurs sort of that they're figuring it out and they can no longer touch every single aspect of it. It grows beyond them. So that's when you start to think inwards and you say, well, how do I do this if I have 300 SKUs versus 30? So I would say, what am I seeing success? Having operationally savvy people who are actually putting in the planning and then having those people who can actually execute it on a day-to-day and effectively plan out sort of that load disbursement and what capacity planning looks like. So with, with all that that you've just mentioned, I would say, what do you find to be the most successful habits of leaders in their companies, especially when it goes to actually scaling their business? Because uh, I know that for you, particularly you and Lippy, you both have military backgrounds. and You've mentioned that uh, several CMOs that you find the, the best, excuse me, CTOs usually come from military space. Would you say that is that is a pivotal aspect of C-suite executives? So I would say that I would love to claim that I had military background too, but when I moved to Israel, I was 30 and they weren't interested in taking me. Uh, so the joke's on them, mate. I've never been fitter. But anyway, Lippy, yeah. Lippy, Lippy spent nearly five years in the military. He was a senior commander in an elite combat battalion, had 100 soldiers under him at one stage. So yeah, so I think that I'll bring it all the way back. Prior success. When I looked at Lippy and he hadn't, he didn't have a world of professional experience. I looked at, well, look how successful he was as a leader. And this is one of those five characteristics. He would be an amazing leader to grow this business. So that level of discipline that you have in the military, absolutely. It sets down, it sets a foundation of just getting shit done, breaking it down into these specific manageable tasks and working through it. So I would say that Finding someone with military background as your COO as well. So that's going to speak volumes. But I think success, when you want to talk about success, 
it's purely about repetition and incremental improvement. So I'm never going to be the smartest guy in the room and I don't want to be, but as long as I'm improving every single day, just a little bit, just, I learn that little bit more. I action it. I get better. That is success. It's that persistence. And it's not, don't mistake it with the hustle culture. I'm not, I'm not one of those, even though I put in a lot of hours of work, I'm not proud. I don't wear those hours as a badge of honor. I actually look at it as I'm letting myself down. If I have to work 70, 80 hours a week to get this shit going, I need to work smarter, not harder. So I guess I've said a lot of things there. But no, that's, uh, that's actually a beautiful statement right there. Work smarter, not harder, especially if you're managing so many aspects of your business. Touching back on that point that you're talking about the repetition, it's just kind of like going to the gym or even doing kickboxing. You're not doing it for a badge of honor. Obviously, you get the aesthetics, uh, the aesthetics and the physical aspects of it. It's more of the repetition over time that is going to allow you to get the success that you want and get you towards those goals. It's those incremental little little movements. Obviously, every day, how far can I actually move the needle in my business to actually get it to where it needs to go? and to get me the desired outcome that I definitely want. I know that we're definitely getting into the uh, the latter half of the podcast episode. And I know that one of the most interesting hobbies that you have is home improvement. Would you say that your home improvement hobby ties into to multiply me or is it the other way around? Did you, did you start home improvement then be like, you know what? I can definitely, if I can scale a house, I can scale a business. How, <laughs> how did that happen? So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly how that happened. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know why I'm being so honest. I'm being recorded as well. It's a terrible decision. But I would say when I was living in the States, you know, and that's not all that long, you know, we're talking uh, probably seven years ago now when I, when I probably first got there, I would use, um, what's that app called? Is it, is it called Handy? Handy? I know about yeah. Home Advisor. Hashtag Home Advisor used to work. For it's them. an app where you find sort of handymen that can actually put up a painting on your wall or mm. things like that. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, embarrassingly enough, I like used to use that app and like I need to put a fucking painting up in my, you know, inside of my my house, and I would actually leverage them. I had no idea. And when I got to Israel, there ain't none of that here you are absolutely forced to fend for yourself. And I actually realized that it was a real passion. So like, I mean, you can't really see right now that I've done all the wiring, mounted a projector, I've redone all these walls. I've, I totally redid our rooftop. I'm renting this place just during Corona. There was like nothing to do. So, okay. you know, when you were in serious lockdown. So I'd say that's when I really got into it. But yeah, now it's like, what else can I learn? I mean, I'm not going to pull it up now, but I, I did a bunch of woodworking shops and I built all this cool stuff now. So I think that the the baseline is where's that connection there? I would say that sometimes in the role that I sit in, I'm actually, I'm doing a lot of this. I'm doing a lot of speaking on podcasts. I'm making great relationships. I'm looking to see how I can add value and vice versa and how can I partner with the right people. And while that's the most valuable seat that I can probably sit in at the moment right now, Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel the same as creation. So I'm a, I'm a very creative guy. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I taught myself how to use Photoshop when I worked in creative advertising just because it was something fun and I could actually create, you know. I was told never to use Photoshop on any client campaigns again when I fucked one up with a Mercedes-Benz, but that's a story for another time. I'll tell you about it in Vegas. W logo on a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah not that bad, but did some things, uh, did some things that, uh, you know, hindsight. 2020 and uh, could have probably avoided. But I think that it's that idea of creation and actually seeing a physical product, like something that I've put the hard work in and there's there's actually something in, in reality that's probably the appeal there. 
So uh, I definitely want to wrap up with this. Tell me a little bit about what the plan is with Multiply Me going into the tail end of 2021 and how your business structure has changed since the pandemic. Well, we were one of those businesses that actually started just pre-pandemic. So we actually were built with the pandemic almost in mind. I mean, we, we built the company entirely remotely before the pandemic hit. And I would say that in terms of what's changed or sort of what the direction is, I mean, we've just invested a, a stupid amount of time and resource from I was involved in that process, but now we're getting 20, 20 weeks worth of projects with a consulting team and a whole lot of senior management investment into re-engineering and reimagining how we can create a more fluid, more engaging and more evolved recruiting process that we can actually help clients go through. That's on top of our ongoing performance management. So I would say that the evolution for us is that this platform that's going to launch next week as an internal solution to help do things like leave tracking and management and overtime. And there's going to be a whole lot of other aspects that we build into it around performance management. But the evolution is that we're going to make it easier for people to hire people more effectively, saving their time and educate them on that process and then seamlessly bring them into a solution where it's done for you in terms of the things that you'd never get to, like leave tracking and understanding requests for time off. We're, we're looking to help, and I don't mean this in a condescending way. I really should choose my words better, but professionalize is the word that, that comes to mind is that we want to help give businesses the tools that big corporate play with, but on a small scale where it actually makes sense for them. That would be the drive for, for the back end of this year. Obviously, this is going to be a software. I imagine that you probably have it on like a subscription model. Where would you say that your software comes in comparison to like, let's say, a monster.com or hired or, or even LinkedIn? Because obviously, these are very uh, affluent platforms when it comes to finding quote unquote talent. But it seems like the way that you guys have your business set up is more tailored to exactly what the client wants, how to get them there, building the SOPs, building the processes, and building that roadmap that's actually going to get them from where they are now to where they want to be in a year or two years time, if they can actually see that vision for themselves, because obviously you guys definitely see that vision for them. Where would you guys put yourself? Honestly, with everything that you've talked about in just this short time frame, I would honestly, what you're offering is far above anything else that's out there currently in the marketplace. And it's rather unique that you guys were, have been able to actually build this business in such a short time frame since everything happened back in 2020. So it's been a wild ride. I would say that the platform itself is different to any of those other platforms. So we leverage all the tools that you, you know, when we dedicate a recruiter, uh, one topic we didn't get to is passive versus active recruitment, where active is where you put a job post out and people who are looking for jobs actively looking will submit, but then you look for passive candidates, ones that are happy in their job. So we do a ton of that. We have all of our recruiters have LinkedIn professional paid accounts. They're, you know, they're going nuts trying to find the best talent on planet earth that exists in, well, at least in the Philippines for right now. So the tool that we've built is more so on once someone has actually been hired and they're being inducted and onboarded to the business, we want to enable better fluid management. So we'll, some of the later iterations and we're, we're only bringing out our first iteration, which has the leave tracking and overtime and a series of pretty cool FAQs and a few other elements. We're going to move into performance tracking. And it's more so about how do I actually maintain and retain the best talent when I've put in all this work 
at the start. And I'd say that the multiply me service offering, the idea is that you don't have to invest all this time getting on LinkedIn and getting LinkedIn recruiter and getting workable or bullhorn or one of these, you know, recruitment CRMs. And, you know, before you know it, you've invested thousands of dollars and even more time to get there. We've built that system to unlock it for, for everyone else. That's unique, right? That you have this system that you guys have actively carefully curated to essentially mitigate all of these other softwares out there that would essentially do all these other things and obviously cut down on the amount of revenue spend to put all this time, energy, and effort into hiring all these unique candidates that you'd have to scour the ends of the, uh, of the internet just to be able to get that, uh, that candidate in on your company. Tell me a little bit more about this, uh, this software and when do you guys expect to actually bring this to market? Yeah, so the software right now is just going to be given to our clients, our existing clients. So part of our first iteration is for, for us as a business, our single-minded focus is how do we create value? How do we continue to add more value? What, what is our differentiator in market that will see people not just come and work with us and see it as a transaction? How do we actually bring them in and continue to add value? So the original logic was we'd build this so that our clients actually have a really sleek and easy to use service mm-hmm. that was a piece of technology. And then I would say maybe the later half of this year or early next year, would we release it as some sort of a, a you know a paid subscription-based model? Because what we also want to do is we want to open this up and the way we're building it too is that let's say you have a team in Mexico and a team in Puerto Rico and a team in you know the Philippines and the US, you know, everyone should be able to you know be able to 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 jump in and also see their performance uh, reporting and their management and open it up. So we've got that with in mind. Okay. That's actually pretty cool. Probably should have wrapped up like maybe 10, 15 minutes ago, but we're just over here vibing. So uh, I'll just end it on this. Yoni, tell everybody about yourself uh, just to wrap it up a little bit more. Where can they find you? How can they get in contact with you? What's company name, email address, et cetera? Just, uh, you know, just lay it all out there. Man. Yeah. So if you are at this stage of the interview and you're still listening to me, then feel free to email me directly at yoni at multiplyme.com. It's M-U-L. T-I-P-L-Y-M-I-I, multiply, mm-hmm. me, but M-double-I. You can check out our website there too, uh, multiplyme.com. Uh, the other business is Escala. We are Escala.com and that's our consulting practice focused on process improvement. But honestly, you, you'll be able to find either website from both and, and check it out. What's the best way to get a hold of you on Facebook, LinkedIn, email? Yeah, email, I'm responsive. LinkedIn, super responsive. Don't be upset with me if it takes me a bit of time to get back to you on Facebook. And I am notorious for deleting my Instagram for periods of time because it does become quite the distraction. Hey man, all that home improvement, you know, you got to take those photos somewhere. I'll wrap it up with this. All the links to what Yoni's talking about are going to be in the bio, uh, the podcast and on YouTube and also on uh, the Elite Seller Facebook page. So that's Elite Seller Software on Facebook. Thank you for joining in on this episode. If you definitely want to sign up for a plan with Elite Seller, you can just go over to www.eliteseller.com and you can start your 14-day free trial. Remember to use the code JOSH15 at checkout. That's going to give you 15% off for life. That's one five. 15% off for life. And make sure that you like, follow, subscribe to our YouTube, our socials, our uh, Spotify, Apple, whatever, whatever channel that we're on. And uh, we hope that you enjoy this episode and you'll come back for the next one. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, no problem, dude.